Welcome to the Detox Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gwena, certified holistic health coach and detox enthusiast, and I'm here to talk all things detox. Toxins exist in our lives in many forms, from the foods we eat, products we use, people we spend time with, and even the thoughts in our heads. Here we discuss how various toxins may be sapping our energy and vitality, and how we can detox to create a life we love. Each week, we'll discuss everything from nutrition, clean beauty, body image, dress management techniques, career and business, relationships, you name it. Whether it's with a guest or just yours truly, we'll get real, raw, and honest and provide tangible tips to detox all areas of our lives. If you're ready to step into the most vibrant version of you, let's get started. It's important for people to kind of know and understand that health is really holistic. Um, And that means it's a full picture, right? You have to look at all of the pieces of the puzzle in order to improve the the overall picture, right? So I think people need to remember that because most of us, we instantly go to, I got to work out more, I got to eat better. And while that may be true, um, there's other factors to to our health too that could be playing a bigger role um, in stopping you from getting where you want to go. Welcome back to another episode of the Detox Diaries podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Michael Rubino. He's an innovative expert in mold contamination and remediation. Michael had been working in restoration, and he started to notice that people were getting sick after they worked on projects. And he dug into the science and realized that most restoration projects focused on cosmetic solutions and often left a mold issue in their wake. This drove him to adjust his practices to focus on removing all traces of mold and ensuring that the space's inhabitants were breathing in clean air. He's since written The Mold Medic to educate both consumers and industry professionals as to the complete process to ensure a safe environment. So we discuss the symptoms of toxic mold exposure and why most people ignore them, how to test for mold exposure in our bodies and in our homes, how to detox from mold exposure, how to prevent the adverse effects of toxic mold, and why a mold-free home isn't the goal. This episode is so interesting, and I'm so excited for you guys to check it out. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here, and I would love for you to kick it off by explaining what you do and how you got to doing what you do. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Michael Rubino. For those of you that don't know, don't know me, I'm an author. I wrote the book, The Mold Medic and Experts Guide on Mold Removal. I am a council certified microbial remediation supervisor. Uh, I have 10 years of experience in the mold remediation field, helping individuals fix their homes, especially those dealing with mysterious chronic health issues um, that you know, do it a result of genetics, epigenetics, plus environmental toxins and exposures. So uh, it's been a rewarding and gratifying journey so far. Interesting. So what kind of got you into that path? Because it's very specific. (laughs) Well, you're in New York. Do you remember Hurricane Sandy? I do. So my journey kind of started there with uh, respects to my adulthood, if you would. I'm in my uh, early to mid 20s at that point. And um, my father owned a restoration uh, company since I'm five years old. And he primarily did a lot of fire restoration, but, you know, storm, water damage, et cetera, those types of things occurred as well, especially when fires get put out with water. Um, You know, it tends to be part of the problem. But it was right around then when I started noticing people getting sick. And previous to that, you know, I never really looked at it from that perspective. As I started getting people sick, I started looking at laboratory reports, trying to understand scientifically how to improve the space. 
um, which I think is a bit different than most people. Most people have a leak in their basement or something. They call a company, they come in, they cut out some drywall. It's, it's more done on a cosmetic basis. But as, as I'm starting to deal with people who are sick from this, I started to have to look at it from a scientific basis. And in that, I realized that, wow, there's just so many people out there doing things the wrong way. Um, and it created this hole of information that needed to be filled um, so that people stopped you know, getting sick from their homes and their workplaces because homes were not maintained or fixed properly uh, when these things, types of things do occur. So it led down this 10-year journey. Um, the company that I have now is we used to be called All American Restoration, if you could see the sign behind me, but it's now called Home Cleanse. And um, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a really interesting journey so far, and I'm just so happy to be able to help people. Yes, I'd love, I know this is something, and we we're chatting a little bit before we started recording, but the whole mold thing is something that like, I know I'm scared of, <laughs> but I don't really know the details of it. So I would kind of love for you to walk through like what, when people get sick from mold, like what that can look like and sure. kind of the types of mold that can cause that. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us are scared of things we don't know much about, you know, um, and I think that's that comes with the territory. Um, you don't necessarily need to be scared of it, but you want to be vigilant, right? You want to make sure that you know about it and you're not the adverse effect of it. It's kind of like if you move to a new place and there's a new type of snake in your yard, you want to make sure that snake's not poisonous and, you know, you're fearful before you know that information, right? So it's kind of the same thing. With mold, um, how it works is we have two different types. We have, um, we, well, not two different types, but two different uh, mechanisms of growth here. We have the spore, which is kind of like a seed, and then you have the living organism itself. Uh, so we, what you don't want to happen is you don't want to have a lot of organisms colonized together inside your home, producing all of these spores or seeds, if you will. Um, because it's the abundance of particles in our environment that getting into contact with our body that causes these adverse health reactions. Um, I think as a society, we don't know a whole lot about microbiology. That's why we kind of um, end up not knowing that these things are harmful before they actually make us sick. And I think that's kind of where I try to come in and, as an educator to help educate people. But it's, it's no different than bacteria and viruses and other microbiological contaminants you know, a, being in contact with a little bit of it, your body removes it, not a big problem. When you have a lot of it, um, you know, that's when your, your body starts to struggle with removing it from your body and you start to feel symptoms. A lot of symptoms that people complain about are things like brain fog, chronic fatigue, uh, skin issues like hives, eczema, rashes, um, especially when you move in uh, to a new place, you start having this a pretty good sign. Or if you recall, Hey, I'm not feeling so well all of a sudden. And there was a recent water event in your home. It's a pretty good sign that it's probably that, uh, but there are tests that you can do scientifically to understand what's in your environment inside the home. And there's also clinical tests you can do for the body. You go into a doctor to, to identify if this is abundant inside your body and is causing you adverse health reactions. Um, it also, I mean, in, in older folks, it can uh, be cause early onset of dementia. Um, there's a term called inhalational Alzheimer's that's been coined from uh, exposures to bacteria and mold from water damaged buildings um, that typically happens later in life. We've seen issues with um, fertility uh, due to poor toxic environments. So I think, you know, all in all, it's, you know, 
I think that was something we want to be more mindful about. Again, not necessarily scared of it, just a little bit more educated about it. Because if you think about anything that makes us sick and sick in life, it's um, it's external exposures. You know, you had bad food, right? That came into contact with the body, bad air quality, um, bad diet. Again, you know, external exposure. It's it's things that make us sick. Even disease, you know, it's spread through the air. Um, so I think it's really important that what gets inside of our body uh, has the potential to either make us healthy or make us sick. And so as we start to frame our reference around that, it becomes this, this frame of mind of let me do everything that I possibly can to make sure that the place that I'm living in is a healthy place. Absolutely. And do you think for like, when it comes to, like you mentioned, if you move into somewhere new and you're experiencing these symptoms, or there's a recent water event, how quickly does something like mold develop so that you kind of have a sense of like when you should be worried or when it's kind of like if you lived in an apartment for years and there's never been any kind of water damage, you're in the clear kind of thing. So mold and bacteria can start to develop within 24 to 48 hours of a water damage event. But that doesn't necessarily mean that within 48 hours, you're going to notice a difference internally. Um, for most people, and it obviously it does change person to person, but for most people, it takes about six months to a year before they really start to notice a, a difference in their health. And that's what makes this so difficult is because six months to a year later, you're thinking like, well, it can't be mold because that water thing happened six months ago, right? So there is a bit of a lag there in terms of like something happens and then you start not feeling well. Um, so you want to kind of pay attention and look back. What changed within the last six months to a year, I think is a good start. There are people that do have different genetics or epigenetics that may experience it like very quick. I mean, they may notice it the second they walk into their place. Um, I've had clients that have went away for the weekend, came back and completely something's off. They're not feeling well, like off the bat. But I would say that's more um, that's more of a rarity. The, the more common thing is the fact that, you know, people start to notice changes. And another thing that makes it so difficult is we all tend to normalize changes in our, in the way we feel, you know, for example, I myself wasn't, uh, feeling optimal back earlier this year. I, I've been around, you know, sick homes and buildings for 10 years, even with the protective gear, it's not foolproof. It's not hundred percent protective. So, you know, I started to notice that I, that I wasn't really feeling myself. And when I look back at that, there was a lot of normalization that happened even for me. I was like, well, I'm getting older. You know, I have two young kids. They drain, you know, it could be draining. I'm working so much, right? You start to kind of rationalize why you don't feel so well. And you start to say, that's just life, I guess. The reality of it is, is that it's not just life, right? So I went through and, and did a detox program. Um, after about a month of detoxing and, you know, just really getting my stuff together, if you will, uh, I felt brand new again. So it's, you know, it's something that we have to be more mindful of, I think, and just looking at health from a holistic perspective, we take over 20,000 breaths per day. So we have a lot of opportunity for stuff to get in through our lungs um, and into the bloodstream. And we just got to be more mindful about that. Absolutely. And also like when you are, obviously it's something that's kind of on the forefront of your mind that like potential mold exposure could be what's causing these symptoms. But as you mentioned, most people ignore it, assume it's just aging and it's normal and it comes on gradually. If you were to go to a doctor and say that you're experiencing these symptoms, 
is it something that they even mention right away or is it something that we kind of individually have to be educated on as being a potential issue? You know, it's like anything else, it's gonna depend on the doctor. Um, you know, I would say most primary care physicians are not um, educated on mold and mold exposure, bacteria. It's not something they, they commonly think about. Um, you know, most, mostly Western medicine, they, the system is kind of like, you know, if you have these symptoms, you fit into this basket, these symptoms are this basket, and you have treatment protocols for each basket of people. Um, I think as we evolve a little bit, uh, I think medicine really works more effectively when it's individualized. Um, you know, I've seen it. I, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of doctors that we work with. I have a lot of people that we work with that also see doctors. And we notice that for, you know, one protocol may work really well for one person, not really well for another. So we're starting to learn, I think, in the, the scientific and medical communities that medicine needs to be more individualized. Not everything is going to work for everybody. And we have to ask more questions to develop an understanding of what the root cause is. Um, I think functional medicine, uh, integrative medicine, which is basically a combination of functional and uh, Western medicine, um, they're, they're more ahead of the curve on this. Uh, I think it's, it's just going to take some time, you know, for, for things to evolve where there's enough awareness where doctors are asking about it on the first visit, right? Any changes in your air quality, anything happened in your environment, that's, that's different. Any water damage, do you have mold? These are some of the questions that doctors should be asking because we need to learn more about people's environments, especially considering pretty much all illness comes from environmental exposures. Yeah, absolutely. And then if, so if you are feeling those symptoms and you listen to this podcast and you're like, maybe it's mold, what kind of is your, like, is there a testing protocol that actually like proves that you have it? Or is it just kind of like a, you just make the assumption that it could be that and you treat it or you dig into what's happening in the home? Like kind of what are the steps from there? No. So, I mean, there's all kinds of testing apparatuses these days. You have uh, mycotoxin testing, which tests for the toxin produced by species of mold. Uh, you have uh, organic oats, organic acid tests or, or oats testing, uh, which is looks for different biomarkers that would, it could be mold, could be bacteria, it could be many other things, but it's basically a panel of biomarkers that they're looking for. And there are specific um, you know, biomarkers that people look for with respect to mold. Uh, there is brain scans now, which can look for mold toxicity um, because it does cause inflammation typically in the gut and in the brain. Uh, so there, there are lots of different ways to look at this. And I think it's only going to continue to develop over time as we start to realize that it's, it's much more impactful to our health than we, you know, had, had originally anticipated. Um, but yeah, no, there are clinical studies you can do. And there are typical doctors that know about these studies. If you're seeing like a primary care physician and they don't do this type of testing, or they're not familiar with it, you definitely can find a doctor that, that is, and does, uh, to help guide you through that, to understand if it is a problem. And then there's also testing in the home too, which obviously will tell you looking for abnormalities. Um, the gold standard used to be that people just came in and did an air sample, but it, it misses a lot. The best way to do it is actually to test the dust because when you have organisms in your house, they're producing these spores or toxins, they aerosolize, and then they settle right where our dust settles, the same places. So when you test your dust and you're looking for these spores and fragments of specific species, 
you can start to look for abnormalities. Uh, MSQ PCR technology, uh, I think we all know what PCR is at this point, um, but MSQ PCR, it's, it's pretty nice because it's looking at the DNA of specific spores and fragments of different species. And most of the labs that you work with to get this test will actually tell you by different asterisks, like this is 10 times higher than the average home or a hundred times or a thousand times higher. So you can start to see what's abnormal and what's not. You know, we're not looking to build bubbles around our houses. Uh, we don't need to be scared or avoid mold to the point where, you know, we can't live a normal life. Um, but we just want it, so we want the, the, we want it to be normal, right? We don't want abnormalities. We don't want so much growing in our house that it's producing so many particles that are getting into our body and our body is fighting to remove them. So we want, you know, just a healthier overall environment, I think, to heal in. Got it. And then, so if let's say you do have a water event in your home, kind of what are the next steps to make sure that you're actually getting the best kind of remediation as opposed to what you said, where it's kind of like cosmetic surface and they're not really getting to the root of the issue. Like what do people ask for, I guess. And like, how can you really research and know that you're getting someone reputable? That is a difficult question um, in and of itself, for sure. Uh, it's like the wild, wild west. You have people that, you know, I mean, I've, I've sat across the table from people doing this for 30 years and, you know, they had no idea what they were doing, you know, specifically. So uh, it, it is very challenging. Um, how I look at it is this, knowing that mold can grow in as quickly as 24 to 48 hours. That's like the first thing you need to know. If you know that, you'll be able to be smart when you're looking for somebody because, most companies tend to go into water damage, especially if you call your insurance company and you're like, hey, look, I had this leak. I need you to, you know, give me someone reputable. Um, they don't always offer the most reputable people. Unfortunately, they offer the people that cost the least so that they can, you know, subsidize their costs, essentially. Um, what you want to do is you want to make sure that they're coming in and they're setting up engineering controls. Engineering controls are basically things that aren't going to allow the mold to spread. Because mold and bacteria can spread very easily because they're so tiny and they all kind of colonize and group together. So, you know, if you, if you have open up a wall, you could be releasing hundreds of thousands of, of particles into the environment. That's not what you want. It can, also, it can make you feel much worse. So you want them to set up containment, it's called. It's basically these plastic barriers, engineering controls, air scrubbers, things that are going to make sure that that area that they're working in is under negative pressure. So if you've ever opened up a door to a hotel and you felt like the air blasting out at you, um, you know, hitting you as the face as you're walking in, that building is what's called positively pressurized. The space that, that is outside of you is negatively pressurized. So basically the air is blowing at you in your face. Well, you don't want that air blowing out into the other directions of your home. You want it actually sucking out usually towards a window. So that'll give you some understanding about engineering controls. A lot of these water damage companies, they don't set up engineering controls because they just come there, they cut out drywall, they're looking to dry it. They're going to tell you things like, oh, it's all good. This is, this is normal. This is what we do. This is how we do it. I've done it forever. But the problem with this whole water mitigation process is the fact that the average home takes three to five days to dry out and mold and bacteria can start growing and thriving in 24 to 48 hours. So every project essentially becomes a mold remediation project in the middle of this water mitigation. And so when it does, they're going to have all these fans and dehumidifiers that are going to end up blowing all that stuff around your house, which is not what you want. 
So I would say if you can find a company that does engineering controls and will set it up properly, um, it, it actually is outlined this way in what's called the IICRC S500, which is basically the water mitigation guideline. The problem is, is that nobody follows it. Uh, so you have to really make sure that they're going to do mold remediation first, then dry out the structure. So, which is not an easy task. It's easier said than done. Got it. And then in terms of if you wanted to do that testing that you had mentioned earlier, like to see if there is mold in your home, whether it is immediately after or months later, is that something that someone like a technician needs to come in and do for you? Or is that something that you can test for yourself? No, I mean, depending on when this test comes out, we're, we're developing a resource called thedusttest.com where you can go and get the test yourself. Um, right now, you have to basically call the labs independently, order it from them, get it, you know, and ship it to them. The problem is the labs don't do a really good job analyzing it and telling you what it means um, and what to do with that information. So it makes it a little difficult. Um, if this if this is out before the dusttest.com is out, I'm sorry, guys, you'll have to still work with the labs directly. Uh, two labs that I can recommend are EnviroBiomics, actually three, EnviroBiomics, uh, Mycometrics, and EMSL. Um, go ahead and contact any of those labs and get what's called um, an ERMI, E-R-M-I. You don't care about the score. The score is actually the ERMI itself. It's the uh, relative mold index you want to look at the data. You wanna see how many spores per milligram of dust. You wanna look for these little asterisks, how many times over the average is it? And that's kind of what you're looking to see, do I have abnormalities? If you do have abnormalities, you may wanna hire an inspector to help you figure out where the sources are coming from. But for the most part, you know, we all wanna do that for peace of mind. We wanna make sure this is something that we wanna check for probably annually just to make sure there's nothing weird going on behind the wall that we don't know about. Make sure that our environments are a place of healing and not a place of, you know, decay. So these are, these are all hopefully good tips and tricks for those listening. Yeah, definitely. And is there any other, like, obviously we, we can't really control when there's going to be water damage in our homes, but is there any other kind of preventative things that we can do, or it's just kind of like being really vigilant when an instance happens and just trying to deal with it as best we can within those first 24 hours? Yeah, there, there are preventative measures. You know, I'd say if you ever, anytime anyone's ever doing a remodel, you know, and especially in an area that is prone to moisture, you know, ask a lot of questions of your contractor. How are you going to waterproof that shower? You know, um, what, what sort of materials are we going to use? Uh, that, you know, there's so many bathrooms that are built improperly that cause these issues. Uh, you're remodeling a bathroom, make sure you install an exhaust fan so that we're getting that moisture out of there. Um, because, you know, although the window is code, a lot of us forget to open that window when we shower. So these are things that you want to kind of be mindful of. Um, you definitely want to inspect your roof, doors and windows once a year. Um, doors and windows, they all have flashing around them that does decay over time. As it decays, water can start to intrude. Same thing with a roof, obviously. Unfortunately, law of physics, nothing's built to last. It all does start to fall apart and need to be replaced and maintained. Um, so roof, doors and windows, those are, those are easy things uh, to watch out for because they're definitely more prone to leaks than a lot of other things. Um, inside, we can upgrade our HVAC filtration. 
there's what's called MERV-16 technology out there that'll stop small particles like mold, like bacteria, like toxins from getting into the HVAC. Uh, our HVACs have what's called AC coils um, and they constantly condensate. So it's a wet environment for something like mold and bacteria to thrive in. So we wanna make sure that we're protecting mold from getting into there in the first place. Dehumidification is also important depending on the climate you live in. If it's humid in the summer, you may wanna have some sort of dehumidification system going inside the house. Uh, the HVAC will naturally dehumidify. Um, that's kind of what that coil and condensation line is designed to do and take it out of the house. However, sometimes like in Florida, the AC may not be enough and mold can start to grow in as, as little as 60% relative humidity or greater. So we just wanna to try to keep our house around you know, 40 to 50% and not let it get much higher than that. Um, Cleaning is another thing. Uh, basically, everything that we don't want in our house ends up in our dust. So by allowing dust to accumulate, we're allowing that stuff to accumulate too. And if I don't know if you guys have ever sat on a couch uh, near a window and saw that ray of light and you saw all these fuzzy particles floating in the air, that's a good depiction of what actually happens. Our dust becomes aerosolized. It, every time the HVAC kicks on, you open a door, a window, et cetera, that wind kicks it up. And so that change in pressure uh, allows that stuff to get into our breathing zone, enter the body. Um, and then th you know that's kind of a recipe for disaster. It's how we typically get more sick during certain seasons where there's a lot more particulate in the air. You know, we have to be mindful of dust and cleaning, especially the stuff we we don't touch, like I'll give you an example, behind your fridge or on top of the kitchen cabinets. Um, you know, there's a lot of dust that accumulates because these are things that, that only get clean like maybe once a year. So just be more mindful, maybe cleaning them once a quarter instead of once a year um, and making sure you have a, a pretty good uh, regimen. Um, if you have pets, you may, you may need to clean more frequently than the average person. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of be think with all of that because what's in our dust eventually gets into our bodies. And that's kind of what the whole problem is. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, I guess like air purifiers and things like yeah. that probably help. Yeah. So if you, if you don't like cleaning, um, cause who really does, right? I was going to say, I feel really called out right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, air purifiers will certainly help because they're actually removing the particles in the air while they're suspended in the air. And so that's less stuff that's going to fall down to the floor and onto your shelves and your desks and things like that. So yeah, it'll certainly, it'll certainly help out with the cleaning efforts a lot more, um, depending on the air purifier you get. Some of them are better than others, obviously, but the ones that remove tiny particles that are the, the ones that you can't even see, those are even better because you know that they're, you know, working better for your health. Um, I think that's really important. Our trick is the smaller the particle, the worse it is for us. Uh, mainly because the smaller the particle, it, it bypasses our self-defense mechanisms, right, goes right through the lungs and into the bloodstream. So, you know, when you know that um, something like a dust particle is a lot larger, that's going to get caught in our mucous membranes, but all this stuff that's smaller bypasses us. And that's how we get so sick from viruses and bacteria so quickly. Uh, toxins as well, because they get to just straight right into, into the body. So, you know, we want to try to protect ourselves and remove a lot of those small particles that we typically uh, don't, aren't aware of because we can't see them. Got it. And then you'd mentioned before that you, you were not feeling so great. So you ended up doing a detox protocol. 
what does something like that look like? Does like, obviously, like you said, it's best for things to be catered to the individual person, but I guess you could just kind of give a couple of examples and kind of like what that looks like, how long it can take, just so people yeah. have a sense of what that's like. So um, basically my detox program was all about uh, taking a lot of vitamins. Um, I gradually would increase vitamin doses every single day in uh, and, and a sauna. Um, you know, there's infrared, there's steam, um, there's all different types of saunas. I, I just went with the regular, you know, sauna that you would see at your gym. Um, and I would incrementally increase the amount of time that I would sit in the sauna. Of course, I would take breaks and go take cold showers and stuff to keep cool. Um, you know, always do that with somebody so that God forbid you pass out or something, you have a, a buddy system there because, you, you know, typically you're dealing with 140 degree temperatures and it's, you know, we can overheat, right? Um, I was taking a lot of salt and potassium, which is uh, electrolytes essentially. And um, I was sweating it out. What it was interesting about, about what I noticed with is um, at that temperature, you should sweat pretty profusely. And um, for the first seven days, I like hardly was sweating. And then after that seventh day, it was just like a light switch. I just like a faucet, I started profusely sweating. So it was pretty interesting to notice that because obviously that had some blockage, right? There was something that was happening. Um, I mean, I would like scratch my skin and you would see like white or whitish grayish stuff coming out of my pores. It's very, very interesting phenomena, but um, the sauna can be really good because it's helping you sweat a lot of stuff that's, that's, you know, in your body. Most of the toxins in our body get stored in fat cells uh, for those that don't know that. So when you're, you know, exercising and using the sauna, you're a lot less likely to release these toxins. And, you know, the skin obviously being the largest organ, it's a big way to, to get that out of, out of your system. So, um, I had a lot of success with the sauna and eating, eating well, and, you know, practicing holistic health, trying to avoid as much bad stuff and, uh, you know, trying to consume as much good stuff. And I would imagine probably that also acts, I mean, a lot of what I talk about on this show is like preventative measures in terms of when you are living in a way that is promoting your immune system as much as possible, you are less likely probably to have as bad adverse effects. Like you said, it could be epigenetics too. And there's other things that could play a part in that. But most likely if you're someone who's like eating McDonald's and laying on the couch, yeah, <laughs> versus right. if you're someone who's living a more healthy lifestyle, your, your immune systems probably can handle maybe a bit more and is capable of like processing it. Is that true of mold? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. You know, uh, I've heard many doctors use this term, like we all have different size buckets that, that, you know, of the amount of toxic things that we can actually encounter before that bucket gets over full. Um, and essentially we start to feel symptoms after that. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because this is where our genetics and epigenetics play into things. Um, you know, there's also things like, where, how, how have we lived in moldy buildings as a kid, you know, how that might affect our future. Um, there's a lot of different things that they're still studying that, you know, again, makes a lot of sense of how we factor things into this, but how much antibiotics did you take as a kid? You know, what sort of, were you constantly sick? Did you take a lot of medication that could have, you know, potentially have had some long-term effects that maybe make you, um, not as strong as the average person, not to say that these things aren't reversible or anything like that, but knowing, knowing that storyline kind of helps develop this picture of 
what you're dealing with today so that you could figure out how to get better. Um, I've, I've yet to see people not get better through making these changes, right? Everybody can get better. Um, obviously not everyone can afford like full scale remediation. So they're prioritizing, they're prioritizing their budgets to make the most impact because you have to get better air quality, eat better food, drink better water. Uh, you know, even the products that you put on your face, uh, on your hair, um, these are all things that play a role into it. So you want to kind of look at what toxic chemicals am I exposing myself to that I could probably easily swap out for botanical alternatives? You know, what's in my makeup, what's in my, you know, hygiene products. And you're kind of looking at reducing the overall exposure because any of this stuff that is going to be hard for your body to remove, is going to add stress into the mix. And so you want to kind of look at all of that. Obviously, my expertise is on air quality and reducing amount, the amount of particles that we're in contact with in our physical environment. But, you know, I, we've seen all these other things play into account. So it's important for people to kind of know and understand that health is really holistic. Um, and that means it's a full picture, right? You have to look at all of the pieces of the puzzle in order to improve the, the overall picture, right? So I think people need to remember that because most of us, we instantly go to, I got to work out more, I got to eat better. And while that may be true, um, there's other factors to, to our health too that could be playing a bigger role um, in stopping you from getting where you want to go. Amen. <laughs> it's a lot of what we talk about on this show. I completely agree. Yeah. So you did mention your book. I would love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit. Who is it for? Who could benefit from it? So the book is like a, it's like a two for one. Um, it's definitely a book for consumers who, you know, maybe they heard somewhere that mold could be a problem and they want to know what to do about that. It's a good book to kind of dive into what is mold? Why should you care? And now that you know about it, how do you actually scientifically understand if it's part of a problem? And then if so, how do you, what do you do about that? Right. So you're going to understand, you know, different testing modalities, different types of mold, you know, how to find a good inspector, how to find a good remediator, um, how to, you know, basically put this behind you and improve your environment. Um, but it's also a good call to action for the industry itself, because there's over 50,000 companies in the U.S. that supposedly do remediation, but most of them do it cosmetically and not scientifically. And I, I personally don't care that it looks better. I want to know that I can feel better in that space. So I think that's really uh, where a lot of the industry has dropped the ball over the past 10 years. Um, you know, this book has tried to help pioneer the path forward. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are now doing better work these days um, that, that have, that have loved the principles of the book. And so we just want to make sure that my, my passion is making sure that the people understand so that they're not the adverse effect of these so-called professionals who, you know, are trying to earn a quick buck and not actually take care of the problem properly. And I think that's, that's really where that, that book kind of came about. And, um, I think it opened up a lot of eyes too. Uh, luckily, with with other industry professionals saying, you know, there's there's a lot here. Well, thank you for that because <laughs> it sounds like it's much needed. <laughs> You're um, welcome. 
I do have a selfish question as someone yeah. who lives in a New York city apartment with the weirdest shaped bathroom ever that has like no ventilation and is so humid. We of course have, you know, like shower mold and you know, this is the detox diary. So I don't use bleach, which I've heard anyway, that mold just runs away from bleach. You're not really cleaning it. It's just kind of yeah. hiding from you. Like, is that mold that, you know, we put vinegar on, we do that kind of stuff. And if you have any other tricks for that, like, do we have to really be concerned about that? Is it just unsightly or is it potentially something that could cause uh, some of these symptoms? Well, mold is mold. So unfortunately, you know, the, the industry has come up with a lot of terminology to make people feel good about it. Um, like, oh, that's just some shower mold. We've heard things like that's just lumber mold or even the word mildew, right? Oh, that's just mildew. No worries. But um, it's all mold. There's many different species of mold. Mold is mold. Of course, some are more toxic than others. Um, some are toxic, some are allergenic, uh, some are pathogenic. So they can do different things to the body depending on which category they're in. Um, I think at the end of the day, typically, most, most of the time, I don't want to say all of the time, most of the time, the mold inside the shower isn't a lot of mold. It's not enough to make a massive difference. Um, and that's where you see like a little bit in the corner of the cock or a little bit in the shower. But sometimes what you see on the surface is just the tip of the iceberg and there may be a problem behind the shower, right? So that's why I say most of the time, because I never want to give people a false sense of security. I also never want to scare people into thinking like, oh my God, they better rip their house apart. So, you know, there's, there's a fine line. I think the best way is, the best, best way to kind of look at this is if you're super concerned about it, do that MSQ PCR test that we talked about earlier, test your dust. Uh, you'll, you'll get a good sense of just how bad the environment is. And if you need to, to take action, um, you know, you're never going to have like a mold free home, but you just don't want to have an abundance of it. Right. And so you want to look for those, those abnormalities we talked about earlier. Typically shower mold is, you know, it's, it's typically never enough to be a big, big problem on its own, but you know, it's, it can happen. It, you know, it's more rare, but it can happen. Um, you just gotta, you know, that's why it's important to just kind of be vigilant and test. I think another good thing is if you clean the mold in your shower and it comes back pretty frequently, then that's, that's probably indicative that there might be a little bit bigger of a problem. Unfortunately, um, if you're just, if you're, if it just comes, you know, once a year or something like that, then you're just having spores opportunistically fall you know, in that area, it's wet, you know, you took a shower and you have, it's now growing. But if, if you're cleaning it like, you know, weekly or daily, and it just keeps coming back, that's, that's definitely a sign of a bigger problem. So I think frequency of how much it comes back, it can help with that too. Uh, I use hydrogen peroxide for showers. Um, it's, it goes, you know, converts back to water when it's done and when it goes inert. So, um, you know, it's, it's not a harmful toxic chemical, and, um, it's just, it actually also oxidizes the grout. So it makes it a little brighter at the same time. So it's kind of a two for one little life hack there. Um, obviously people have used vinegar in the past. Um, we have some data that shows that vinegar is, is a great, you know, is great at helping remove mold, um, certainly better than bleach, but I think hydrogen peroxide, I think would be a little more effective, um, in, in all honesty, in this case, there's another product that I like really well. I wouldn't necessarily use it in the shower and there's nothing really wrong with it, but it's 
better for cleaning surfaces, you know, easily, easily clean surfaces like a desk or glass table. Um, and that's Benefect Decon 30. It's another botanical product. Uh, there is no need to remediate with harsh chemicals at all anymore in 2022. Uh, my company will, will not use chemicals. Um, and there, I mean, some people do still, and I just don't think it's necessary. Yeah. And it seems kind of counterintuitive because <laughs> then you're just it's dealing pretty... with the toxicity from something else. But also mold has a self-defense mechanism and it can produce toxins as a way of, you know, defending itself. And sometimes a chemical can cause it to, you know, go into that self-defense mode and it starts producing toxins. So it's not exactly the, the effect you were looking for when you're trying to kill things. We've learned a lot about mold and how, you know, it's, it's a living organism. You don't need to kill it. You just need to remove it. It's kind of like a weed, right? It's a weed that grows in our home. It has roots called hyphae, so you need to physically pull the roots out, and you do that by scrubbing surfaces. Um, and you know, it's if you like sprayed a weed killer on the weed, yeah, it would like shrivel up and die. But a, it would still be there. It would be this shriveled up, ugly looking thing in your garden. And b, um, it would just grow right back. You know, you're gonna get, you're still gonna get weeds coming right back. So we've kind of learned through that, you know, it's mold is very similar to the plant world and how we look at that as we say, let's just remove it, right? You pull the weed with the roots and it's gone. Um, so I think that's kind of the best way to look at mold and mold remediation. And if you do that and you're looking at cleaning and removing and scrubbing, and you're mindful that it has roots that can grow a couple feet out from where you actually see the, the spot of mold, you know, it'll help you understand how to tackle it better. Got it. Great. Is there anything else that you feel like we should know? <laughs> I don't even know what to ask anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, I just think that we need to be more mindful. We have tools and technology. Um, you know, you, you can definitely test for your home. Um, I think that it's, we have to remember that with 20,000 breaths that we take every single day, um, knowing that, you know, this is going to get into our body and going to impact us. If there's a lot of it there, we always want to make sure that there's not and take steps to, you know, make sure that the air we're breathing is better. Uh, I know we've, we've learned a lot through COVID about air quality um, as a society. And I know that we're more vigilant than we've ever been before, but I think mold and bacteria um, is two other pieces of the microbiological contaminants realm that we don't, think about enough, you know, as a matter of fact, when most people think mold, you know, they're just kind of like, Oh, I don't have, it. I don't see it. They like associate it as if with this bad stigma of like, you only have mold if you live in a dirty place. And it's not true. Um, uh, if anyone's listened to my podcast with Gwyneth Paltrow on goop, you'll know that you it's, it can happen in the most pristine places to celebrities and athletes, to single moms, to, you know, everyone. Right. So we just have to be more mindful that, you know, this can be a problem. Health is holistic. Air quality is something that is often overlooked and it should be closer to the top of our list. So if you're dealing with any weird health issues, I, you know, urge you, please go, go check it out and make sure that it's not part of the problem. Well, thank you. Nice name drop there. Goop. <laughs> Just fig figured it was, figured it was, uh, it's a good relatable podcast. Totally. Totally. That's awesome. Well, I, 
I asked everyone this question on the podcast, which is what is the toxic thing in your life that you've released that's had a major impact? What is a toxic thing in my life that I've released that has had a major impact? Well, um, oh, easy. I used to smoke cigarettes as a, as a kid coming up. Um, and I quit. I actually quit when I, when my wife was pregnant with our first kid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as an air quality guy, right. It's, it's, it almost seems comical, but, um, I think that, you know, it made me realize as it was interesting because I knew that cigarettes were bad, right? Most of us did. Um, and, and still it was like this, you know, kind of way of coping with life, if you will. And uh, I knew enough, I knew it was bad, but I was okay doing it until I was ready to have a kid. And that was the moment that I decided like, you know, I don't want, I don't want, you know, my kids to grow up and see me doing these bad habits because I want to set a good example. And then interestingly enough, that's kind of when I got into mold and started seeing, you know, how, how important air quality is, uh, not to knock anyone that smokes. Cause you already know that it's not good for you because we all do. Um, but it was a big, it was a big, you know, big, big change for me. And, you know, I didn't even realize it takes so many years to kind of repair yourself after that. Um, you know, there was, there was a period of time where I would walk up just a couple of steps and be tired, you know, and out of breath. And I was in my twenties. So, you know, I, I can only imagine how much worse off I could be if I continued down that path, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge one to let go of. And I think also, like you were saying, we all have our vices that we know aren't the best for us, but we still do. And I think once you have, like you said, that space from it, you can really see the impact of walking away from it. So that's really a testament to if anyone listening has something that they're really hanging on to, just, you know, giving it a shot without it for a little bit, obviously smoking is challenging. (laughs) It is challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. Well, I would love for you to just share how people can connect with you, follow you, if they have any questions, need to reach out to you, if you could let us know that. And we'll, of course, link up to it in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, good way to connect with me is on Instagram at the mold medic. Um, and uh, I would say if you're looking for a website and more information, resources, free resources, things like that, you can go to the moldmedic.com. You can also go to homecleanse.com where you can learn more about what remediation should be. And there's a ton of resources and products and stuff for you to get on there as well that can help you on your journey. But uh, me personally at the Mold Medic, I'm, I'm very uh, active on, on Instagram for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was such a great conversation. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Now for the takeaways. Number one, symptoms of toxic mold exposure typically manifest about six months to a year after exposure, and they include brain fog, chronic fatigue, skin irritations, fertility issues, and more. And these often come on gradually and can be written off as just being part of growing older. Number two, most physicians aren't well-versed in mold exposure, so be your own advocate and find a doctor, likely a functional medicine doctor, who can test using either mycotoxin, organic acid tests, or brain scans. Number three, to test mold exposure in your home, the best option is to test dust particles, and you can order your own test at the dusttest.com, and I'll link up to that in the show notes. 
Number four, if you have experienced a water event, act ASAP because mold can form in 24 to 48 hours and research a reputable remediator that uses engineering controls and deals with the issue scientifically as opposed to cosmetically. Number five, preventative measures you can do in your home are if you're doing any kind of remodel to be sure to ask lots of questions, especially when you're dealing with a situation where you're dealing with water like a bathroom or a kitchen or anything like that. Be sure to inspect your roof, doors, and windows every year to ensure no leaks. Upgrade your HVAC filtration as needed. Use air purifiers and dehumidifiers as needed and clean often. Number six, detox protocols are very individual, but in general, living holistically healthy, like eating well, avoiding toxin exposures, things we talk about all the time on this show, and the addition of vitamins and saunas can be very effective. Number seven, there's no need to use toxic chemicals to deal with molds, whether that's in a remediation situation or just in your own bathroom. Hydrogen peroxide and vinegar are good non-toxic bathroom solutions. Number eight, you will never have a mold-free home. The focus is to be vigilant about not having an overabundance that's too much for our body to remove. And number nine, the healthier our immune system is, the more toxins we can withstand. And Michael mentions the bucket analogy, and I use like to talk about it in terms of a sink because the sink, obviously, there's water coming in, things coming in, so that would be different kinds of toxin exposure that our body needs to deal with. And then there's our drain, which is our body's ability to flush them through. So basically, we're kind of, as long as we're attacking it from both ends, we're trying to limit how much water is going into the sink that therefore needs to be drained. But we're also making sure to take care of our bodies and our organs and all of that so that our detoxification pathways are working as efficiently as possible to let that water move through and have that drain be effective. So I hope you got so much out of this episode. I will obviously link up to all the specific things that we talked about in the show notes. And if you have any specific questions, you can always reach out to me or, of course, reach out to Michael on Instagram. He's very active there. And if you are enjoying the show, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You could always reach out to me on Instagram at the.detox.diaries. And I would love if you would share this episode with a friend, if you think that it's something that maybe they need to be more aware of, like most of us do. And if you're enjoying the show, I would also really love if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It is a great way to support the show and allow more people to find it. So thank you again for being here as always, and I will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.